the Holy Gospel is written in the 25th chapter of Matthew, beginning at verse 14, the parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and went out, and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee in Christ. Okay, am I, um, yes, magnified. Well, thank you very much for uh, inviting me to look intently into the Word of God as we, just using that phrase there, um, the holy fear of actually having to teach from the Word of God certainly concentrates your mind when you're looking at it. Um, so I've uh, found that uh, a pleasure personally. The parable of the talents is something that is quite often in sort of um, 
popular church circles, as it were, uh, I think misunderstood. And I found um, the writings of uh, Bishop N.T. Wright uh, here particularly helpful in thinking about the the background uh, and the approach to this parable. Let me set the scene uh, with this quote from his book, Surprised by Hope, where he says that following Jesus means just that, following Jesus, not ticking a box which says Jesus and then sitting back as though it's all done. To speak of Jesus' lordship is to allow one's entire life to be reshaped by him, knowing that though this will be painful from time to time, it will be the way not to a diminished or or cramped human existence, but to a genuine human life in the present and a complete, glorious, resurrected human life in the future. Uh, Very much resonating with the earlier reading that we had from James, which will come up uh, in the slides later as well. With that in the back of our mind, I'd like to start out by pointing out two things that I think the parable of the talents is not saying. Uh, It is not about using our talents, i.e. our gifts, or spiritual gifts, as has sometimes been interpreted, not about using our talents for God. Neither is it about the second coming of Christ, or the last judgment as has sometimes been interpreted. Talent is here not a pun for things that we're gifted at doing. A talent was simply a large sum of money, as features in the parable. It was about 80 pounds or 36 kilograms of silver, which would represent uh, thousands of pounds in terms of contemporary uh, English buying power. And N.T. Wright, again, looking at the background of this parable, points out that the stories Jesus tells about a king or a master who goes away for a while, leaves his subjects or servants to trade with his money in his absence, were not originally meant to refer to Jesus going away and leaving the church with tasks to get on with until his eventual second coming at the Last Judgment. Rather, he says, they belong to the Jewish world of the first century where everyone would at once hear the story to be about God himself having left Israel and the temple at the time of the the exile into Babylon, coming back again at last, as the post-exilic prophets had said he would, back to Israel, back to Zion, back to the temple in their original setting, the point of these stories is that Israel's God is indeed coming at last to Jerusalem, to the temple, in and as the human person Jesus of Nazareth. And Wright says that these uh, parables of warning uh, that Jesus gives, uh, a series of such parables after a visit uh, to the temple, These warnings were warnings of coming judgments of Yahweh, of God, within history, not at the end of history. Like Jeremiah, uh, Jesus prophesied the fall of Jerusalem itself. Uh, Jeremiah sees Babylon as the agent of God punishing his wayward people. Jesus seems to have cast Rome in the same role. 
and the judgment would come not as some arbitrary punishment for God, uh, from God for Israel's failure to obey the moral law, but as the inevitable result of Israel choosing the way of violent uh, reaction to occupation, the way of resistance, rather than following in the way Jesus himself had uh, articulated in his own life and message. Think about Jesus up before Pontius Pilate at his trial, saying, my kingdom is not of this earth, or my servants would be fighting. They're saying, my kingdom is not of this earth, and my servants should not be fighting um, the earthly political powers for that kingdom. And yet that was the nationalistic sense in which a lot of Jews were looking for the Jewish Messiah to fulfil and boot the Romans out. So with that background in mind, if the talents in this parable are not a symbol for our gifts, for the things we're good at doing, or for spiritual gifts, like, say, the gift of prophecy or tongues or whatever, what do they symbolise? Because clearly they are, they are symbolic talents. Well, I think they symbolise the spiritual riches of the kingdom of God that Jesus was offering and which the Jewish establishment that he told the parables against were rejecting. A quote here from earlier on in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. And then in his joy he goes and sells everything he has to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Uh, A very rich the riches of the kingdom of God, worth selling everything you have for. So let's turn to going through this parable. It begins, for it, this is the the royal appearing of of Jesus as the Son of Man figure uh, that N.T. Wright says was accomplished in the, the fall of the temple. It's just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And then he went on a journey. Now, this master entrusts his slaves with his riches, not merely for safekeeping, but for investment. And surely the primary meaning of that investment is investment of the self in the kingdom of God. As James says, faith without deeds is useless, is dead. We see also that the kingdom of God grows, it grows organically. Um, Think of the parable from Luke 13. What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to, says Jesus? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Elsewhere in Matthew, Jesus refers to having faith as small as a mustard seed that will then grow. The kingdom of God is within you, and this kingdom grows. The investment of the self and one's faith in God is an investment in the kingdom of God here, I think. To invest in the kingdom, to invest oneself in the kingdom of God, uh, to bring up a passage that I used last time I preached here, 
surely means growing towards the goal of loving God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your strength, as Jesus said. Going on, immediately the man who had received five talents went, put it to work, acted on it, and earned five more. In the same way, the man who'd earned two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. He didn't act on it. He didn't invest himself in the kingdom. So we have those uh, rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, growing, and the servant burying his money here. We have two different practical responses to the master's trust to God's trust. We have a faithful response on the one hand, putting the master's riches of the kingdom to work and reaping the expected organic reward. On the other hand, we have a faithless response, refusing to put the master's riches to work and so failing to reap the expected reward. Here's where I think James really resonates. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What's the point of doing that? And these two different practical responses to the master's trust reveal two different attitudes of the heart towards the master. An attitude of faith, of reverence and trust, knowing that the master values faithfulness Above success, it's the faithfulness of the servant that's the key thing here, not the fact that they earned more money. And the other attitude of the heart is one of, of fear, of rejecting trust, burying the master's money to keep it safe until it can be returned to him. A sense of living by the law, keeping it safe, I'll just... Do that. Hoping to avoid doing any wrong, says one commentary, this servant finished up by not doing anything right. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five talents approached, presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more talents. And his master said to him, well done, Good and faithful slave, you were faithful over a few things, and I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. This is a portrait of God, of the master, praising his slaves for their investment of his spiritual riches, an investment that brings a guaranteed spiritual return. That means they share in, his, in the master's joy, they're sharing in God's joy. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the spirit, the things that, that grow from investing yourself in the kingdom of God, is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Then the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. 
You're a difficult man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talents in the ground to keep them safe. Look, you have what's yours. Well, this third slave claims to know the master. This slave does not know the master. This slave sees the master as a difficult man who exploits people, a master to be afraid of. So he wants to bury the riches until he can return them unused. What a contrast with the master known to the other slaves, a master who trusts them with his riches, not just for safekeeping, but for investment. One of the most encouraging uh, little phrases uh, that I came across uh, a number of years ago when I was a student worker at a church in, in Sheffield said this, Christians are not called by God to be successful, but to be faithful. Be faithful to God and leave whether or not you're successful in his hands. They know a master who generously rewards those who faithfully respond to his trust. They know a master who wants his faithful slaves to share in his joy. They know the master. This slave doesn't. But his master replied to him, you evil, lazy slave, If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness. In that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the evil slave's problem was not ignorance of God. Although he claims to know God and he has a false picture of God, he's not ignorant of what the master wants. Rather, his problem is that he rejected the knowledge of God that he'd been given. (coughs) In some, planning to return the master's riches to him is the same as not using the riches for the purpose they were intended, which is the same thing as rejecting them, which is the same thing as rejecting the master. If failing to use the master's spiritual riches is the same thing as rejecting him, then faithfully using the master's riches is the same thing as receiving him. Everyone who responds faithfully to the spiritual riches God entrusts to them will receive even greater spiritual riches and will share in the master's joy. But those who reject the master will not share in his joy. So... They always tell you to um, make sure you get some practical application out of looking at the word, not just thinking, what does this mean, but what does this mean for me? Well, it leaves me asking myself questions like this. Although this parable was, of course, told on a particular occasion by Jesus to a particular Jewish audience to make certain points, 
as N.T. Wright points out, I think we can legitimately apply its basic message to ourselves here and now by asking questions like this. Am I, am I responding practically to the way that God has entrusted me with the growth of his kingdom in me and in the world? Or am I rejecting God by refusing to invest myself in his kingdom? Very serious question. And does my response to God's spiritual investment in me reflect my knowledge that God values my faithfulness above success? That faithful spiritual investment is the way to sharing God's joy? I leave those questions with you. Thank you.